Welcome to CN Lee Talk Cold Cases. This podcast covers crimes that may be disturbing to some. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, welcome to CN Lee Talk Cold Cases. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Christina. Um, I'm just going to add some um, content and trigger warnings right off the bat for this case. Uh, there's uh, mentions of abuse, violence, alcohol use, and drug use as well. So just to give everyone a pre-warning, there can be some heavy stuff in this, this case. You know, before we get started, I'd like to address the sheer amount of you knows we said last week. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much I said it until I started editing, so we discussed it and are actively trying to say it less. You know. You know. <laughs> but um, I, I also have a couple uh, quick housekeeping items that I managed to leave out last week. Uh, first, I'm still working on our web landing page, which will have all our episode and link listings in case you miss something or would like to search our eventual back catalog. When that's ready, I'll make an announcement on our social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at AC Cold Case Talk and our Facebook page at CN Lee Talk Cold Cases. Uh, links will be in the show notes and you can also find them on our Anchor FM landing page. Perfect. Yeah. So I'd also like to address our sponsor breaks because we got a little bit of feedback on those. Um, as we're fairly new, we don't have sponsors yet, which is why our breaks cut right back to the show so those will begin to fill in eventually and will make more sense once we start adding the advertisements and you can also help support the show by donating right on anchor fm again link in the show notes Um, a portion of your donation will go to the organizations we talk about in addition to helping us keep the show going so we can get these stories out there we are in talks about working on bonuses for our supporters so stay tuned for more information on that so now that that's all taken care of, God, that felt like a lot. That, um, that was good, though. <laughs> yeah. So where are we going this week? So this case has been on my mind ever since I heard about it on the news. All the questions without any answers. So today I'll be talking about everybody's baby, the disappearance of Tamara Keepness. So um, the majority of information has been taken from storiesoftheunsolved.com as well as Uh, cbcnews.ca and some sources from reddit and I will provide the show notes to the information I found so uh, buckle up this can be a tough one so let's uh, let's get going here Uh, so Tamara Keepness and her twin sister Tannis were born on September 1st 1998 to Lorna and Troy Keepness The family were from White Bear First Nation, located in southeast portion of Saskatchewan and resided in Regina. Shortly after the twins were born, Lorna and Troy separated, resulting in the two girls splitting their time between their parents. The majority of the time they lived with Lorna, her live-in partner, Dean Arthur, McArthur, my apologies, McArthur, and their three siblings near downtown on Ottawa Street. The neighborhood was and still known to have issues, 
particularly regarding poverty and other social problems. Um, my husband and I bought a house on the edge of the area across the tracks there uh, three years ago, and we have seen the issues firsthand, and it's devastating. So that's why this case is kind of pretty close to my heart for me. So it was no secret that the, ch the adults in Tamara's life struggled with alcohol and substance abuse issues. Dean specifically had served two months of a three-month sentence for assaulting Lorna while in a drunken rage. Due to these issues, as well as reports of child neglect, social services were often involved with the family with a total of 50 reports made to crisis workers. But despite what some might call an unsteady home life, Tamara was a smart and caring girl. She fiercely loved her siblings, especially Tannis, and she frequently had a huge smile on her face. She was also known for being feisty and a bit mischievous, and she was always on the outlook for adventure. When not playing Mario Kart on Nintendo, she could be found climbing her favorite pine tree at the end of the block. Wow, so it sounds kind of like a lot already. Yeah, it's uh, so, lots. Yeah. So jumping right back in here. So leaning up to the disappearance of Tamara Keepness. On the evening of July 5th, 2004, Lorna, Dean, and all five children were in the living room watching t television. At some point, Lorna and Dean got into an argument, which they claim was about nothing serious. At about 8.30 p.m., Dean decided to leave the house to cool down. While out, he ran into Russell Sheepskin, a man who sometimes resided in the family's basement, and the pair decided to grab a few drinks together. Before heading to a hotel by the house, Dean made a stop at a nearby 7-Eleven to buy some milk for his and Lorna's newborn baby, which he later dropped off at the house. Lorna spent majority of the evening with her children between 10.30 and 11 p.m. She sent them to bed and decided to head to a friend's townhouse located a block over, leaving her eldest daughter, 11-year-old Summer, in charge. I have issues with that. You know, but, you know, everybody, parents different. You know, 11 is, I guess, a decent enough age if they're mature enough. But, you know. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that too. Um, and it, it seemed like it was the same in Antoinette's case. I was going to say very similar. Yeah, but this was, what did you say, 2005? 2004. 2004. So, I mean, there's a big difference and parenting changed a lot, so... I mean, 11 is, is kind of a decent age to watch your siblings, depending on, like, where your parents are going. Well, exactly. So, so, so you know, she was nearby. So, but um, here we go back after, after a while, she and her friend went out to purchase more alcohol. And Lorna stopped by the house to pick, ch check on things. My apologies, check on things. Uh, when she returned to her friend's residence, she did call Summer and told her to ring if she needed anything. So, at least there was communication. She didn't just take off. Right, right. So then at uh, 12 a.m. on July 6th, Russell returned to the house incredibly drunk. He made himself some food and checked on the children. He recalls seeing some of them, including Tamara, sleeping in the living room. Meanwhile, meaning they must have 
come downstairs after Lorna put them to bed, which typical children don't stay in bed. Right? (laughs) So, a couple hours later, Russell was smoking a cigarette on the front porch when he encountered Dean. The pair got into a physical altercation, trigger warning of violence. Just putting that in there right, right now. Resulting in Dean punching Russell and stomping on his head. Oh my god. Yeah, that 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 kind of shook me when I was researching. I thought, oh my goodness. A little little bit of alcohol induced violence is never good. So no. uh, but while Russell was injured, he went to the hospital to get stitches. He claims he didn't lock the door before leaving. And according to Dean, after the fight, he decided to walk to his aunt's house where he planned to stay the night. However, he ended up getting lost. So he didn't end up arriving until two hours later, sometime between 5 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Or sorry, a.m. My goodness. So between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. Not p.m. Okay. Okay. And uh, police reports claim that no one saw him during this time. So he must have got really really lost i'm sorry really quick do you know like obviously he was intoxicated do you know how far maybe the aunt lived would that be a possibility Um, of getting lost that's that's what i'm thinking but you know what i've personally been lost walking around regina in the middle of the night so it is really once it gets dark out it you can get turned around and as i you know imagine most cities would be and if you're Okay. That intoxicated, you know, things start looking the same. So I don't fault okay. him for, you know, getting a little lost and not being accounted for. So um, around at around 3 a.m., Lorna returned to the house to find all the doors locked. As such, she entered the home through a window. My question, why didn't she knock on the door? Um, there could be a couple reasons. Um. Uh- I actually remember a point in time when um, my dad locked us out of the house. Oh. And he had to shove me through the window because I was the only one smaller to fit. But, I mean, in that case, nobody was home. But yeah, it, it, that that's kind of where my mind went. Yeah. Um, maybe she didn't think they would wake up. That, that That is true. If they were, say, upstairs or something, I do believe the house was a two-story. So they might have not heard. But she was also quite drunk at the time and doesn't remember if she saw her children asleep in the living room. However, she has stated that she recalls seeing Tannis and Summer before she herself fell asleep on the couch. Okay, so, yeah, if she was intoxicated, she might not have even thought to knock. Yeah, so, so. she... Fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Alright, well, okay, we'll give her that. So now we are on to the disappearance. So this is this is where it's getting a little rough. At some point on the morning of July 6th, Tamara's older brother, Rain, felt her leave the bed they shared. I thought Tamara was on the couch, but there is some conflicting information I found, so we'll we'll just I mean keep she it at also that. she also could have gone back to bed. Yeah, that is for that whatever is, reason. Yeah, that is true. You know, kids do move all over. Yes, they do. (laughs) um, While he doesn't remember the exact time, he does recall it was starting to get light out. And at 9 a.m., Tamara's grandmother came by for a visit 
and saw Lorna nursing a hangover. This was around the time Lorna herself awoke as she had to open the door for her mother. Shortly after this, Summer and Rain left the house to attend a day camp at a nearby community center. Tamara was first discovered missing when she didn't come downstairs for breakfast. Lorna had told one of the children to go wake her up as they were going for a walk, but she wasn't in her bed. After checking nearby playgrounds and contacting friends and relatives, Lorna reported her daughter missing at about 12.15 in the afternoon. And that starts up our investigation. So, in the search for Tamara... The search for Tamara grabbed the attention of the city and would become the largest and most expensive in Regina's history. At first, patrol officers checked the neighborhood to make sure she hadn't simply wandered away or gone to another house. But after they could find no trace of her, the search intensified. The Regina Police Service set up command post in the parking lot of a church just up Ottawa Street from the house Tamara went missing from, and hundreds of volunteers, police, and RCMP cadets began the search on foot, horseback, and in the air. And this is this is where it kind of gets sad. One officer said a car with two older women pulled up beside him, and the one peeped out the window. Did you find our baby yet? She asked. Because she was, at all of the reports, they were all talking about how she became Regina's baby. She became the little girl. So that's that's very sad. You know, yeah. everybody everybody just wanted to know where Tamara went. So and I have a I have a quick question. Um how big is Regina? Um it's it's pretty big, you know. I should have done the research because I live in the city and I should know what the population is and I don't but if I do a quick Google search because Google is my friend I can take and search because you know I should uh, I should know this yeah well it's just it seems like everybody kind of knows who this little girl is so it, it's almost like where I'm from it's a small town but there's still like 60,000 people here but you're still going to run into people you don't want to run into at the supermarket so we are at um a big big city (laughs) oh uh 327 almost 28,000 oh it's okay wow yeah that's that's bigger than I expected yeah it's um but you know our our neighborhoods are quite tight knit um a lot of people know everybody there are families there are some streets that have families in the whole block okay so you know it's it's really nice when you can you know you can know your neighbors but you know you might not know them but Tamara really you know she really connected the community the whole city as just one big community they you know they scoured the streets yards neighborhoods alleys manholes and trash cans looking for her they even took the search to a local landfill and to areas outside the city while clothing and a child's shoe was were discovered they didn't belong to Tamara. And overall, 
little trace of the missing girl was uncovered. Wow. Yeah. So since the initial search, there have been others throughout downtown Regina and around the family home. Lorna even signed consent forms allowing investigators to search the house. She also provided them with her DNA. Besides seeing a window that had been broken during the fight between Russell and Dean, they found no signs of forced entry or struggle. Police also questioned sex offenders in the area. They also obtained surveillance footage from local areas, area bars, gas stations, convenience stores, and a nearby Greyhound Depot. So that's our bus depot. I think you guys have that too? Yeah, we have Greyhound here. Okay, okay, I wasn't sure if that was a... (laughs) But... So, to help develop a timeline for the night before, investigators brought in the whole family, including Tamara's siblings, for questioning. In particular, Dean, Russell, and Laura were under Lor- my apologies, Lorna, not Laura. Lorna were under intense scrutiny. At the time, investigators felt like they weren't being completely forthcoming with information and were overall not happy with the gaps and inconsistencies in the versions of events that were told. The three denied the allegations and expressed that investigators were too focused were too focused and focusing too much in attention on them and not enough on finding Tamara. To help move the investigation along, they named five people they believed could be suspects, including a pedophile who had befriended Tamara some time before. Okay, so like a, another quick question. Do we know anything about these... Um like suspects were they people obviously you said the one befriended her but are they just like like out here be like okay well this guy lives out here and this guy lives out here they're close by this is their mo it's kind of what they do maybe or were there like actual connections do you do they know or did they release that i I couldn't find very much like they do question quite a few people and there's quite a few leads but the the five people i couldn't really find any information okay. about or even about the unfortunate pedophile and but you know I choose to not know that information yeah but so a few days after Tamara disappeared an Amber Alert was finally issued there are different reports as to why it took so long for one to happen some sources say the Amber Alert system hadn't yet been implemented in Regina at the time while a spokesperson for the Regina Police Service said the circumstances of the disappearance hadn't met the criteria for an alert. The disappearance soon made national headlines. While appreciative of all the coverage the case was getting, the family soon grew frustrated with both the media and police due to the way they were being treated. And so the rumors soon began to spread about what happened to the little girl, and some of these are a little misfortunate. Um, one person said they had been seen, or sorry, she had been seen at a dollar store with an older woman, while another, which has been since dip- dip- disproved with hospital records, claimed Tamara never existed and had been made up in order to scam money from social services. Okay, I, I gotta comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, back. Back in the day when records weren't so meticulously kept, I could see somebody maybe getting away with that, but this is 2004. Exactly. Like, you can't just make up 
a kid. Oh no! You, you they have like in America. I, I don't know how Canada works, but it's like I couldn't even like claim Emily on my tax return unless I had her social, yeah. uh, you know, and all her information on you know when she was born, where she was born, all that stuff. So it's like, how do you make up a kid this day and age yeah. and get away with it? You you can't. No, and that's that's pretty much the same for us. You know, you you have to give your arm and a leg to be able to go on social services. So for them to, there was you'll you'll see when we get into the theories, all of the wild accusations and thoughts that there have been over the years about uh, about this poor little girl. So there was also a third r- rumor. Which was spread by business owners in the neighborhood claiming detectives were looking for a middle-aged white man named Rocky or Roche. I apologize. I do not know how to pronounce that, but I'm going to assume it's Roche. Yeah, because if it was Rock, wouldn't it be K? Yeah, so I'm going to say it's like Roche. Okay. If someone someone knows the proper way, please send us an email and we'd be gladly to put a correction on yeah, exactly. So, you know. Um, however, police never confirmed this if this was true. Uh, to show support for Ta- Tamara and the family, residents would wrap ribbons around the trees and leave both teddy bears and angels on the steps of the Keepness house. Uh, I remember seeing, seeing those. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, and they were around. And her picture still to this day is everywhere. You see that little girl everywhere and... It's heartbreaking. But on July 13th, 2004, a $25,000 reward was issued by the Regina Police Service for information about the case. This after searches for Tamara had been suspended. The case was quickly changed from a missing persons investigation to one that was criminal in nature. On July 21st, 2004, Tamara's siblings were removed from the house by social services and placed into foster care. Neither government officials or the police would say if this was related to the case, but the house was once again searched after they left. Just under a month after Tamara went missing, a vigil for the missing girl was held at the family's house. So there's a lot of information here. Uh, On August 11th, 2004, Troy was charged with assaulting Dean with a baseball bat, during which he sustained minor injuries. Troy told investigators he had gone over to the house to try to get answers about his daughter's disappearance. So wait, I got a question on that too. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Yeah, no Um, problem. So is he still like under suspicion or did they pretty much say the family's... Done. I think they're still being kind of under suspicion, but they're not as much. But it it does seem throughout here they still kind of are trying to figure out if they know more than they do. And okay, yeah, and it, I mean it seems the father thinks he does, but you know you're you're the parent. You're gonna yeah. follow well, up on know, whatever you can. Missing, I probably do this. Have the same reaction. If I oh, thought yeah. that he maybe knew something more, I, I don't agree with resorting to violence. But, you know, when you're distraught, there's chances that, you know, you're going to take and 
have some reaction. Yeah, and, you know, you're already, like you said, distraught. You're not going to think straight. And you're going to go after whatever you think is going to give you the answer. Exactly. So in September of 2004, unsealed search warrants revealed police had evidence to believe Tamara had been abducted as blood had been found on the floor, on the front porch, and on bicycles on the por- sitting on the porch. What? Yeah. So that same month, investigators searched, and I apologize. This is a Cree name, and I am not fluent in Cree. So it's Maskawapitan First Nations. Approximately, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's a little northeast of Regina. I do apologize. This name comes up a couple of times. I'm, I meant to ask um, one of my neighbors how to pronounce it, and it just started snowing today, and I just, it slipped my mind. As snow will often snow. do. Yes, It'll- you don't want to leave the house. <laughs> yeah. So, this week-long search involved 30 people from the Regina Police Service, the RCMP, Montreal Lake Cree First Nations, and Search and Rescue Regina. While a reason wasn't given to, as to why the search had moved north, it's believed investigators were trying to establish a connection between Tamara and a burnt-out Volkswagen van found on the reserve. The van had been stolen just 10 blocks from the family home on the night the young girl went missing. And a jail guard named Sherry Ann Rose had told police she and a former inmate had stolen the van, picked up Tamara, and dumped her body in a ravine on the reserve. A massive search was conducted with special attention given to ravines and gullies. The waterways were drained with compression pumps and thoroughly searched, but nothing of interest was found. It was days later deemed deemed that remains that were found in the van did not belong to Tamara. And Sherry Ann Rose confessed to having made up the story in order to get her abusive boyfriend locked up. As a result, she was charged with mischief. That's okay. That's the worst. Yeah, that when people falsely confess to things and that that's yeah. disgusting. It's it's like no, don't don't do that. You're not gonna wind up anywhere. And look at she wanted her her boyfriend to get in trouble, and she's the one that got in trouble. So it uh, it never uh, you never win with lying. No, especially in a case like this. Yeah, exactly. So the Pasqua First Nations was also searched based on tips from the public and visions from First Nation elders. There was a six-person task force established to investigate leads in the case. It would be eventually parred down to just two detectives. Okay, I got one more question. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Okay, you said um, visions from the elders. Does that mean, like, a medicine man type deal, or...? Yeah, I guess um, that's kind of what, like, the elders are the all-knowing of the tribes. Okay. Yeah, so they're they're the ones that you go to for answers. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry, I just I just wanted to oh. clarify because I wasn't 100% sure that's oh, what yeah. you meant. I didn't want to assume. I, I guess yeah. I should have clarified, which is good because then now we, we know. Okay. So, um, in June 2005, a new team of investigators were assigned to the investigation. 
That same month, a memorial march was held to commemorate the one-year anniversary of Tamara's disappearance. This would be replaced the next year by an annual barbecue. In October 2005, searchers brought in cadaver dogs to, to aid, in, aid in the investigation. They searched around Regina for three days and with a specific focus on the north end of Winnipeg Street, Wascana Lake, and Wascana Creek. This would be the one of the last major searches for Tamara, as the search would be scaled back in April 2006. So. Dean has also publicly stated that he feared for his safety during the early days of the investigations because he felt the police and the community believed he played in some role in Tamara's disappearance. This sentiment sometimes resulted in the family member's safety being put into jeopardy. In one instance, three people jumped Lorna after accusing her of selling her daughter in order to buy drugs, something she has repeatedly denied. That, that's another thing that kind of really pisses me off. Okay, these are... Whether or not she did have something to do with it, it is not these people's place to judge no. that. Let the police do their job. Well, the vigil anteism. Yeah. Exactly. It's just, it's so sad. And, and I get you're angry. I get that. But you can't just go out and beat someone up because you think they did... Yeah. Did something. They did Because they yeah. might be wrong. Well, exactly. You know, and that's, that's exactly it. So, in... August 2020, August 2008, that's a long time ago. That was when my baby was born. Oh, had to throw that in there. June, but um, seven officers were assigned to work exclusively on the case. The reward for the information was doubled to 50,000 in June 2014. The increase was approved by the Regina Board of Police Commissioners and it has been renewed every year. The police chief hopes the continuation of the reward will allow the family to see they still care about finding Tamara. During 2004, a hand-drawn map of, I apologize again, Maskapitank First Nations was uploaded to Reddit with the user claiming the wells on the reserve contained Tamara's remains. The user claimed to have previously submitted tips via the RCMP, the Regina Police Service, and Crime Stoppers, only to never receive a response. Upon learning about the map, investigators looked to see if it held any, any real value. This resulted in a search of the reserve, which was done by the city police, sorry, the Regina Police Service. Members of Tamara's family, the Fort Capel detachment of the RCMP, they looked through and over two dozen wells with a special camera that found no evidence that Tamara had ever been there. While an attempt was made to contact the Reddit user in hopes of learning more about the map, investigators have said they don't believe it's an authentic, authentic piece of evidence. This experience was very upsetting for the Tamara's family. It has been noted in the search, noted that the search prompted 
renewed interest in the case. The family has consulted with psychics, elders, and mediums. The police have also been in contact with elders who told them they had visions of a child near rocks, trees, and water. So in July 2018, a class action lawsuit was filed against the federal government. Tamara's case was one of many listed. It claimed the federal government had breached the Charter of Rights of Indigenous families to security and freedom from discrimination and that numerous negative experiences were also had as a result of the mishandling of cases. It is also claimed that the RCMP shared a responsibility with the government given it's a branch of the federal government. The claimants sought $500 million in damages for the RCMP's handling of the investigations and $1 million in punitive damages. In May 2019, the RCMP launched a week-long campaign to bring more attention to the 45 missing children in Canada. Tamara's case was one of the ones highlighted. Okay, so like, you're saying that there's like only 45 still outstanding? That or? that appears to be what it is. Okay. Okay. But I mean, that's... I it sucks, I but I mean, that's... this up and find information? Yeah. It's it's not, like, I don't want to say, oh, it's not bad. But I I was trying to yeah, look to that's see what if, I was this going meant, if this meant 45 missing Indigenous children or 45 altogether of all nationalities. I'm leaning towards... Right. Indigenous children? Yeah, because the number just seemed kind of low to me, and I'm like, yeah, wow, if they're that good at finding kids, then these 45 kids have probably got a good shot. But yeah, that... It just seemed kind of low to me. So, okay, so it's probably... You're probably right. It's probably just indigenous. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards towards that. So, oh, this is this is rough. This is this is rough on me because I'm reliving it. <laughs> I remember hearing all this well, yeah, you years were like ago. And there. So, towards... So, this, this is pretty rough for me because, you know, I remember following this case. But, uh, so... Towards the end of 2019, the Regina Police Service renewed its commitment to solving the case. It's still an active investigation and is currently in the hands of the Cold Case Unit. Investigators are still reviewing and working on case files, and they continue to regularly receive tips, approximately 16 a year. While no arrests have been made, and no evidence found to explain how and why Tamara went missing. It's believed she is dece deceased and that foul play was involved. However, full details of the investigation haven't been released due to the ongoing nature of the case. Lorna has said she doesn't like to talk about the early parts of the investigation, given the negative focus that was on the family at the time. She also shares that the numerous rumors took a toll on everyone. She agrees with investigators that someone out there is currently withholding information and as such, she and the family continue to pursue leads on their own time. Okay, so do you have any questions before I head on to our theories of the case? Yeah, um, I think you answered most of them during, but I also yeah. wanted to... Um, it, it's a stark contrast to last week's case where there was mm -hmm. hardly any information 
at all for me yeah. to grab. Um, it seems like they have a step by step by step, and it and it's still a cold case now. Yeah, it's it's uh, unbelievable. So, I, I don't understand how the did the technology fail. Are they not as invested because of some kind of a bias? I I. I trying to figure out like where the disconnect kind of is here well ex exactly you know it's i i tried to look and you know find find out really you know what's going on but of course you know if it's a cold case if you know something has happened someone knows something you know even you know 2004 is what how many years ago almost yeah it's pushing 20 no, it's 20 a few more years till like, 20 yeah like four years so it's it's pushing you know 20 years if someone perhaps had abducted her like this is this is my thoughts if someone had abducted her they could possibly dead be dead themselves so they took that yeah. knowledge to their grave exactly and it, it's just i don't There's know so it, much it's just information, sad but not enough information That's exactly and like you said, it's still open, so they're not gonna give out all the information because you know you've got the false confessions coming mm -hmm. in. They gotta, they have to withhold something, yeah. So they know if someone's telling the truth or not. Exactly. Which if, is yeah. ridiculous that people. Again, I'm irritated. Like I don't understand the false confession. I know a lot of people do it for attention, but it's it's ridiculous. And it, it it's infuriating, especially in a case like this. Yeah. So are you ready to go on to the theories? We've got a few. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> that was like the lamest yes, but go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> okay, so we're on to the theory. So the first theory is the general theory that in the case that Tamara was abducted by a stranger. Some people th think that he, she may have wandered away and been abducted by a driver who was cruising the area at the time while others cite the home's location, which is, like I said, it's kind of a, a rougher area, but, you know, I've heard of kids getting abducted in better areas, so we're not going to blame the area or anything like that. Right. So it's the location of the house. It's less than a block from a halfway house for federal parolees and is located near a public house which is known to shelter former inmates and drug and alcohol users. Some feel that Tamara's disappearance may have been at the hands of someone staying at either of those locations. Which While is a good possibility. Sorry. Yeah, so, uh, because, you know, they don't always just stay there. They're, they'll stay there for their time and then they leave. Right. Or they get positioned, you know, in a different uh, province or even a different town. So, while there are many theories surrounding who could have possibly been involved, Lauren is certain her daughter was taken between 9 a.m. and 10.20 a.m. on July 6, 2004. This is further supported by Rain's version of events, which states Tamara most likely left the room during the early mid-morning. So then we're on to our second theory. Some in Regina believe that Tamara may have been abducted by someone in the drug trade or potentially sold by her mother in order to pay a cocaine debt. 
The authorities asked Lorna if her daughter's disappearance was related to the drug trade in any way. Lorna fiercely denied it. As well as some other people wonder if Tamara was sold into sex slavery to pay off debts and that she's been brainwashed into believing she's someone else and leading a different life. Another very similar thought like your case last week. Right. And and it's honestly it's a very common thing even this day and age mm-hmm. for kids to be taken and groomed and you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the parents had anything to do with it. Um some kids are just taken and that's what happens. Um yeah, but without further proof, it's it's really. It's I, I really... think it's. I think it's unfair for people to assume. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Like it's it's just you know they weren't there they don't know it's it's easy uh, that's the thing is sadly in our city indigenous people are profiled profiled for drug and alcohol abuse mm-hmm. so you know sadly they're gonna profile because of that stigma yeah that the indigenous people have yeah that's how it is here too um i again like a lot of people i had to weave through a bunch of comments because they're like oh the mom did it because of this and the mom sold her and i'm like okay do you have any kind of proof yeah stating that like yeah the police did believe she had more information than she was giving but that doesn't necessarily mean she sold her kid yeah exactly you know so now we're on to um i think there's six theories here so we're on number three uh there is a slight chance that tamara's disappearance is related to the argument dean and lorna had on the night she went missing however this is seemed as unlikely as both have said the argument was not about anything major it was just simply a small spat between partners which Uh, everybody has you know exactly so you know they can you you fight and you get over it (laughs) exactly so number four it's possible that her disappearance is the result of an accident while this line of thinking open up opens up to many possibilities the one idea brought up theorizes that tamara may have gotten lost after leaving her home possibly scared she then crawled somewhere so small that she's never been found if this is the case then it means the young girl has most likely passed away like does that Would, not break you your heart? That's horrible, and it that happens a lot too. Yeah, and that's they don't know where to go, so they try to find. It's that that part just really, really hit me hard when I read that. I thought because uh, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen a lot of these theories. I've heard the drug trade theory, and I've heard you know like that the parents did something to her, but you know when I saw that, I just I couldn't imagine how oh. Exactly. Yeah, my, God. my heart. So, uh, on to number five speculation. Um, some have speculated that Tamara's unstable home life could have played a role in her disappearance. They feel the evidence for this stance comes from the investigators' theory that Lorna, Dean, and Russell have not been completely forthcoming regarding the events of July 5th and July 6th, 2004. However, as aforementioned, all three individuals claim they've been thoroughly truthful with those investigating the case. So and we, on see, 
Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, we see a lot of that, too, where something happens and it, you know, complete accident a lot of times, but people try to cover it up. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's this case necessarily, but that happens a lot, too. Exactly. You might, in, I'm going to just quickly throw in here, just apologize. I'm sniffling a little bit. I've had a little bit of sinus issues going on, so I'm trying to trying to deal with that. <laughs> So, Fun times. Yes, exactly. I just realized I've been kind of sniffing the whole time, and I'm like, oh, God, this sounds bad. <laughs> but now watch like none of it shows up. Exactly. So it'll be there. If not, we can cut this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a final theory held by the family involves a drifter that used to stay at the house. Lorna informed police of that woman, whose name is currently unknown. She's, she, as she has used numerous aliases. However, it's known the children called her Big Auntie. She is said to have been a sketchy character who frequently lied to Lorna. She had been staying at the house before Tamara's disappearance, but left after she and Lorna had a falling out. She has not been seen since. Is it possible she abducted Tamara in revenge? Or could have she had another motive for abducting the young girl? If she was indeed involved? So this is in addition to Russell. Absolutely. Okay. So this is another person that seems to be in and out of the house as well. And it's just kind of weird, though, that she wouldn't have any kind of name. Yeah. So unless she was the, just that good with giving fake names and stuff. Right. So, you know, a lot of people have their nicknames and some people don't. You know, yeah. I've had friends that, you know, I find out their first names and I'm shocked because I'm, I know I know them by their nickname and then I find their you know, real name out. And I'm like, no, no, that's, no, that's well, not you. That's like back in the days of AOL. I only knew any, everybody that I talked to by their screen name. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, because back then it was like, you can't give your information out online. Yeah. At all. So everybody who says they're a teenage girl is an old man living in their mom's basement. So yeah, that, I get that. you that old man? <laughs> <laughs> No, I was it, actually I was like seventeen when we got AOL. Yeah, I was gonna say now now people that maybe didn't listen to the first case they're gonna be confused as to why I said that. But we met back in the live journal ages and you know proceeded to you know AOL, AIM, one two three, all of those now defunct chat places. And oh we're god, old now. we're old. That's right. Oh my god, we're old. <laughs> yeah, we were young. I was like in my early twenties. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, okay, now back to the case after we made ourselves feel really bad. Yeah. So, the aftermath of this, that every year the community holds a barbecue in Tamara's honor, just a few blocks from where she disappeared. I, honestly, I meant to go to it, but I forgot to go. I had it written down, and I got distracted, and I, I wanted to go to see it since I was going to be doing the case but I honestly I forgot and I was I felt kind of bad about that but it's uh it's it's held by the Regina Treaty and Status Indian Services and the Regina Police Services sends officers to help serve food according to the family they hold it to show everybody they're still looking for Tamara and to also lend support to other families of missing and murdered indigenous women They've shared that seeing the amount of people who come out and show support have helped them hold on to the hope that one day she'll be found. 
Until that day happens, the barbecue will be held yearly. This is sad. Unfortunately, Lorna Hutt no longer has any family pictures of Tamara. As someone threw out a large portion of her property a few years ago, the only images she has of her daughter are featured on the missing persons flyers. Oh my god. That Can is, you imagine like losing your child and then losing all pictures of all them? All the pictures because of course back then, you know, we I don't think we really had Facebook, you know, and No. Like I lost a lot of cuz I got my first digital camera in like 2003, 2004. I lost a lot of those pictures simply because my computer died. Yeah. You or know, you hit format and Yeah, and if you don't get them printed out and then if you don't put them in a safe place, you, you lose them, like, exactly. easily. Exactly. Um, many, many of the investigators who initially worked on the case have since retired. However, they are still dedicated to solving the case and say it frequently comes to mind. Lorna has moved repeatedly since Tamara disappeared, having been evicted numerous times. She spends her days working odd jobs and shares that she did fall into sex work not long after her daughter went missing. Her other children have never been permanently returned to her custody, and the three babies she gave birth to after Tamara's disappearance have since been taken by social services. Tamara's, but this is good news, Tamara's twin sister, Tannis, is currently in university. Good good for for her. her. Good for her. I, I tried to look and see what she was taking or anything, but... I couldn't find any information about that, which is fair. You know, she probably doesn't want that known. So fair enough to her, but good for her to be pursuing post-secondary. So Russell, Russell Sheepskin passed away on January 1st, 2009. Those investigating the case wonder if he knew any more information that may have been useful in finding camera so this is similar to the mother in your case right passed away and they wonder did he know more than what he's leading on to or what he led on to right but lorna feels hopeful that she'll one day see her daughter again she does not think tamara is dead despite what investigators have said troy has shared that he tries not to dwell on the case but it's hard not knowing if tamara is dead or alive He says he harbors guilt over having lost custody of his children in the years leading up to her disappearance. That's awful. Yeah. What about the um, other guy, Dean? Do we know anything about him? Did he just kind of disappear? Um, I think so. It sounds like it. I mean, honestly, I would. Um, I'm not saying, like, he's guilty of something. I'm just saying if I had nothing to do with something and people kept harassing me, I would disappear. I I feel like uh, you know, when I was doing this I didn't even I just, I saw the names and I didn't even connect that he just kind of disappeared. My apologies if you can hear my cat is playing with a ball in the hallway. <laughs> so he's gonna start probably meowing soon so we're gonna hopefully like, wrap this up soon. Let me in! <laughs> Yeah, last episode he slept on the bed, so this episode he didn't want to come in 
and hang out with me, so he's either going to start scratching at the door or... Oh, Dave. If anyone wants to know, his name is Dave. <laughs> and he's my big baby. And if anyone wants to see pictures, we can post them, but it might cost you. <laughs> Arm and a leg. Exactly. Join and maybe our... your firstborn. Yeah. No, I don't want a firstborn. I have two already. <laughs> <laughs> that, that can be... Uh, that can be a bonus for right. anyone. We'll get a signed autograph of Dave Cat for ya. Oh, that would be so cute. That would be cute. He'd be mad as heck, but he would he would be he'd be cute. I'd even put a little hat on him. Oh. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna close up here with uh, the case contact information, which was amazing. So unfortunately, I'm going to just. Um, keep out the information of the exact location of the street where she went missing but uh, Tamara Jewel Keepness went missing on Ottawa Street in Regina, Saskatchewan on July 5th 2004. She was 5 years old and while what she was last wearing is unknown it's believed that she could have had on a light blue striped halter top with pink accents light blue jeans and either rubber boots or pink and white shoes. She may have been barefoot as well. At the time of her disappearance, she stood at five foot three, sorry, my apologies, three foot five, and weighed between 35 and 40 pounds. She had bobbed dark brown to black hair and brown eyes. She has two circle type birthmarks on her stomach, one dark, the other lighter in color, and a scar on one of her legs, just below the knee. Currently, her case is classified as a missing person, and if alive today, she would be around 22 years old. If you have any information, anyone has any information regarding this case, you can contact the Regina Police Service at 1-306-777-6500. Tips can also be submitted to Child Find at one 800 387-7962 or anonymously via Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. I would also like to bring to your attention the Missing and Murders Murdered Indigenous Women Canada. Tamara was an indig Indigenous child of the White Bear First Nation. So many Indigenous women and children go missing and are murdered every year. We cannot let their cases go cold. A portion of the proceeds from this episode will be donated to www.mmiwg-ffada.ca Yeah, and as always... Um, we will include links and the numbers in the show notes. Um, if you have any information that may help Tamara's case, please do not hesitate to call or leave a message with these organizations. Um, you can also leave a message with us if we got something wrong, left something out, you know, anything. If you just want to say hello, or if you have a case that you want to recommend, yes. um, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at acoldcasetalk at gmail.com. That's the best way. I think we both have it set up on our phone. Yeah. Um, or you can leave a message on our Anchor page. There's a place where you can actually leave a message there, so I'll leave a link in the show notes. 
And until then, thank you for listening, and we hope you tune next week as we cover the case of Elaine Nix. Perfect. Until next time. Until next time. Hey all, it's Lindsay here. Just uh, popping in to let you know of a correction I need to make to the episode of Tamara Keatness. I was let known by a listener that the name of the reservation that I was struggling with is actually Muscalpitine. And they are Soto and not Cree. So I just thought I'd pass that along just so not to offend or upset anybody. But there you go. Enjoy the episode. We'll see you in a week or so. Bye-bye.